0: your back. It's good to see you guys today, and good to see the rest of you as well. And if you have a Bible this morning, I would encourage you to find John's Gospel, chapter number 20. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the men will come by and bring you a Bible. I know a lot of you have it on your phone. That's a good thing. And up here, this, this beautiful young lady here in the front row needs a Bible. And <laughs> <laughs> make sure it's, give everyone in Spanish. <laughs> That's my sister in case you're all wondering who I'm talking about. Bible should be on the top shelf there, ain't they, Eric? Eric's on the job. Over here, you know my sister. All right, the children downstairs. Now, of course, if you smell something, the children are making something downstairs. They bake these things every year. In fact, the kids request these things every year. And so if you smell something really wonderful and good, you have to stay here. You cannot go downstairs. And we will be respectful of the hour. I realize you all have plans with family and friends, but we want to give the Word of God time this morning. And I pray that you'll let the Spirit of God speak to your heart again as we remember the greatest event that ever took place in the history of mankind, which is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no event ever in mankind more significant than what took place that we are remembering and celebrating how that Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And my friend, that is the foundation for which we stand this morning. Now, if you're here today and you haven't been with us these previous Sundays, we have been looking at, in John's Gospel, the seven conversations that are recorded, and the Bible records seven conversations that Jesus Christ had specifically with women. We have been looking at the sevens that are found in John's Gospel, the seven times Jesus Christ uses the phrase, I am. The seven miracles that are found in John's Gospel, as well as the seven witnesses. It's okay, you can walk tall, it's okay. We, you know, we, we, it's not like we, you, you, we didn't see or anything. And, uh, and so that we... Uh, is that how you do it on your job at night, running around? <laughs> I won't tell you what he does, but... It's all good. He does a good job. I thank God for his job. What he more of is what he does. And so we look at these sevens, and we look at, and, and again, there's more in the Bible, but in John, he only records seven of these things. Now, we've seen seven conversations. We come to the last and final conversation that Jesus Christ has specifically with a a, a lady, a woman found in Scripture. And we've picked this up in John chapter number 20 and verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early When it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone, taketh away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth to the other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, yet went not in. Then come with Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeing the linen cloth lie. And the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen cloth but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulchre and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not that the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciple went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and she sees two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir... If thou hast borne him thence, tell me where thou hast lain him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father, your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that she had spoken these things unto her. Let's bow a word prayer before the message this morning. Father, we thank you for this day, thank you for this time. The songs have been beautiful, the specials, Lord, the offertory touched my heart, and the children, Lord, what a joy it is to see these young people uh, playing uh, for you and, and this special music. Bless them, young people, and, and watch over them, keep them safe, and protect them, and may they know you at an early age. Now, Lord, as we come apart now for a few moments, may our mind be not centered on the world, the political situations, even what we have later on this afternoon, but may we focus on what the Spirit of God has to say to us. Meet the need of every heart and life, and if anybody here today does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, convict and convince them of the truth of your word, that they may believe today upon the resurrected one. Bless this time and this hour now, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today on this glorious day, we remember and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And it just so happens that, again, this is our seventh and final conversation. I did not plan this to be on Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Day, to come to this message at this time. But this is just how things have played out. And we thank God that he worked it out this way. The conversations that we have seen and have studied, we've seen the conversation, first of all, involved with his mother at the wedding of Cana. And then we saw the uh, woman uh, uh, at the uh, well in the city of Samaria. Then the woman taken in adultery. Then we saw Mary and Martha, two conversations there with those two women at the death of their brother Lazarus. Last Sunday, we looked at the story of uh, Jesus Christ speaking from the cross as he addressed his mother uh, from the cross, and then today we come to the seventh conversation where he speaks with Mary Magdalene. I asked Ethan, I know you don't tell Ethan what songs to pick out, Ethan does all the song services and picks those things out, but I specifically asked if he would play and if we can sing the song in the garden today. Now, that song, In the Garden, uh, people sometimes say, what inspired the hymn writer to write that hymn. Some people may think it revolves around Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the actual song was inspired by Mary Magdalene in her episode with meeting the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden there. And thus, the songwriter writes that great song about having a conversation and walking and talking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Mary, of course, we know from Scripture. And who is Mary? And what does the Bible have to say about this woman? You'd be surprised that there's really not a whole lot of information about Mary Magdalene found in Scripture. Uh, She is one of the best known and least understood names in the Scripture. And God's word draws a curtain of silence over much of her life. We really don't know a whole lot about her her personal background, where exactly she came from, but she still emerges as one of the prominent women of the New Testament. She is mentioned by name in all four of the Gospels, and mostly in connection with the events of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. And she will forever and for all time have the eternal distinction of being the first person to whom Christ revealed himself after the resurrection. I find that fascinating, and we may... uh, go into more detail next Sunday morning on that, but it's amazing that the first person that the Lord actually talks with is Mary Magdalene and a woman in Scripture. Now, there's all kinds of false teachings about Mary Magdalene, and, and she's almost taken on a mythical role for us and as we stu- uh, see and study history, but all the sources that uh, you hear about Mary Magdalene come from extra-biblical sources and we find no place for any of them in scripture she has become the darling of the feminist movement they've championed her as an advocate for women's rights i don't know where they come up with that but that's what they come up with uh there's nothing in scripture like that she's a she is a very vocal mouthpiece but for the lord jesus christ and his saving gospel nothing else other sources identify her as being a prostitute, and again, that's not true. Mary, There is no record in scripture of Mary Magdalene uh, ever having that occupation. On a different note, there was a best-selling book called The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, and I would not encourage you to waste your time reading it. I don't ban books, but I just say you don't read it because it's not worth your time, and it's, and, and it's filled with a bunch of garbage. And they've adapted what the Gnostics preached years ago, that Mary Magdalene, uh, was once involved in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe possibly even one of his wives. And uh, and so they go that with the, the Da Vinci Code. Again, not found in Scripture and nothing we should even... Uh, and even in Mormonism, Mormonism says that Mary Magdalene is one of the wives of Jesus Christ. And our Lord was never married. Anybody who says so is lying. It's blasphemous and it's out, straight out of the pit of hell. And we should not be given... Any mention of our time and, and trying to entertain such thoughts. So again, who is Mary Magdalene? Well, Mark chapter number sixteen tells us that she was one time possessed with seven demons. She was a demon-possessed individual till she met Jesus Christ. You say, What happened? Well, when Jesus Christ, my friend, shows up, demons have a way of getting gone. And and her life was changed forever. Now again, as we look at these scriptures, we notice the event, and the first 18 verses of chapter number 20 are fascinating, and there's a thousand things that we can look at, a thousand things we can talk about, and and again, we have just little amounts of time, and again, we will do more next week. I want us to notice, first of all, about Mary's zeal here, and, and, and all it has to say in scripture about her. The first day of the week, Sunday, and again, we commemorate this day as the Lord's Day. The Revelation gives us this title. This is the Lord's Day. Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday is not the Sabbath. The Bible never refers to as Sunday being the Sabbath. It is known as the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And, uh, and so here in this story, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about various women coming to the tomb. And they are going to the tomb on the first day of the week because they are going there to anoint the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover has ended. They are now uh, free to go about their business. And they are going to the tomb to properly anoint the body of Christ because it was hastily taken off the cross, quickly wrapped, and thrown in the tomb because they had to get him off the cross and buried before 6 o'clock would take place. He dies at 3 and for the next 3 hours they are hastily wrapping his body, getting in the tomb so they can celebrate the Passover. The religious crowd that had him killed now has to celebrate their holy day to be right with God. Think about that for a little bit. These women evidently sent out together, but John specifically concentrates on Mary here and talks about her, and when she gets there, she finds that the stone has been rolled away, and, and in Mary's mind, she fears the worst. None of these people, even though they have been told, and even though they have been, uh, uh, heard the Lord talk about it, do not make the connection that he has risen from the dead. They are not thinking that. Their mind is that somebody has stolen his body. And, of course, that would be an obvious thought because Christ being so hated and so despised, the last thing you want is worshippers at this tomb or somebody trying to steal the body and, uh, or something else happening. So she naturally assumes this. She sees the tomb empty. She runs back into town. She goes to Peter and John and says that the tomb is empty. Somebody has stolen his body. And she then returns to the tomb and Peter and John have been there. They have seen the tomb empty, and they leave and go back home. But Mary stays behind. Mary is still in the garden. And I want you to understand that when we talk about the Lord rising from the dead, it, it, the sun has not risen yet, and it's still dark out. The sun is probably just coming up. And, and again, to encourage you in how Jewish days work, Jewish days start at 6 o'clock in the evening. That's a Jewish. That's the beginning of a Jewish day by the Jewish calendar. And the Jewish day will end at 6 o'clock p.m. this afternoon. That's the Jewish day. Ours start at noon, or at the 12 o'clock hour. Theirs will start at the 6 o'clock hour. And so the Lord has risen. We do not know the exact hour he has risen, but the, from Scripture, the sun is still not up when Mary arrives at the tomb. We notice her pain and what she is going through here, and the condition, it says that she stood outside the tomb, and we see there in, in verse number 11 how she stood at the tomb and she wept, at this, why is Mary weeping? What is going on in Mary's heart? She's unhappy. She weeps because, again, like I said this carefully, it's unbelief. Unbelief, my friend. Unbelief will always make you unhappy. You can never be happy while you entertain thoughts of unbelief and doubting God. How can she believe that this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that somehow somebody came along and can actually steal his body? If you really stop and think about it, if you're putting your faith into practice, you would not entertain these thoughts. But uh, again, there's a lot going on. This has been a, a, a whirlwind of three days, uh, and a, 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 a whirlwind of a week has gone by, from his triumphal entry to his arrest. To his uh, beatings and cru- trials and crucifixion and then his death and then the Passover. So, this is the, uh, the mind can be racing. And so, we will not get on to Mary too much here for what she's going through. But she sees something that God does for her. And friend, when we believe God, when we love God as much as Mary loved God, God will do things for us that he just might not do for somebody else. When we love God much, God loves us much. If we love little, we may experience little of the blessings of Almighty God. What God does for Mary is she sees two angels sitting there inside the tomb. And again, she doesn't know these to be angels. She sees two men. And again, in her grief and in her tears, she does not comprehend who these individuals are. And she looks at these two angels, and, she, and they ask her, Woman, why weepest thou? Why are you weeping here? Good question. If she believed... And knew and understood the resurrection, she would be rejoicing. But for now she weeps. She says unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, I know not where they have laid him. And to help awaken Mary to the true situation, God gave Mary the privilege of seeing two angels. But this help, again, is ignored by Mary in her unbelief. And she goes down that she, again, is completely unresponsive to these angels. She actually turns her back on them, and she's leaving the tomb. The Bible says in verse number 14 that when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew that it was Jesus, supposing him to be the gardener. Again, when unbelief grips our heart, it not only brings sorrow, but it will bring spiritual blindness. We will miss a lot of things that God has for us if we let unbelief grip our heart. And Mary not only has the privilege of being the first one to the tomb and seeing it empty, God has given her the privilege of seeing two angels there, and she still doesn't understand it. And now the Lord Jesus Christ in his first resurrection appearance, and the first person he speaks to after his resurrection is Mary. Mary has this wonderful three things happening to her, and she is still unresponsive. Can I encourage you, by the way, that God does not give up on Mary, and sometimes we may have to get three things happen to us before we finally, the light bulb goes on. How many times have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it before one day you said, you know, I need to believe upon Christ. I need to accept Christ as my Savior. How many things has God done to you, and how many things has God worked out in your heart and life, and how many things has God shown you before you finally understood, I, uh, this is true, and I need to believe this? And God in his great mercy and kindness has given Mary this opportunity to see an empty tomb, to see angels, and now speak to her, and she's still not getting it, but she'll get it in a minute. I take comfort in that. God doesn't say, you know what, forget her. Let me go on to somebody else. He's going to continue to work with her. God works with us in our unbelief. God works with us in our grief. God works with us in our difficulties. Now again, in this confrontation, Mary Magdalene here has this meeting with our Savior. And notice, I, I want you, and again, we've been concentrating on the conversation. I know you came to church looking for a resurrection message. I, and, we'll, and that's part of the message. But all of these messages that we've been preaching, we've been focusing on the conversations themselves, dissecting the conversations. And we have conversations for the sake of having conversations. Maybe we, what do I say? I don't know what to say. I'm just standing here. I don't know what to say. So let me say something. Hey. How about that weather, huh? That's kind of a useless conversation. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't mean anything, but we're just trying to talk and talk to, just talk to talk. Jesus Christ does not have useless conversations. Amen. Every conversation is geared to an end. It's meant to have a purpose. His questions, his, his conversations are, are made to make people think and to, and to, and to, and to draw them to himself or to increase their faith. And so when he talks to her, he says in verse number 15, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And so two questions are asked. And again, the meaning of the question again is at this time it, it, it's supposed to be a time of great rejoicing. For he's alive and, and yet she's weeping. Why? Why are you weeping? Why are you Weeping, And sometimes we have to ask ourselves that question if life gets us down and things happen to us. Why exactly are we breaking down? Why are we crying? Do we not have faith in God? Did God abandon us? Did the Bible promises somehow go away? Is the promise that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee somehow uh, uh now and is no longer applicable to our lives, but why do we let sorrow grip our hearts? And Of course, death may come for somebody we love, but if they have faith in Christ, we know that eventually we'll see them again. We have a faith, a no so hope that because our Savior lives, they also live. But why are you weeping? Do you not believe the things I've told you? You've heard me preach. You've heard me preach that I'm going to suffer and I'm going to rise again the third day. I've made that very plain. I've talked about that. And somehow that that part of the message went over everybody's head. But why are you weeping? And the second question is, whom seekest thou? Now this question really is a rebuke. Mary is seeking a dead body. She's not seeking a living body. My friend, many in the world are seeking things that are only dead, for they seek the things of this world and not the things of heaven. What are we seeking for in life? What are we looking for in life? I knew a man that his goal was to become a millionaire, and, and he strived, and he had a great job, and he had a family inheritance, and, and one day he, he at his Job, he got his last paycheck, and that paycheck gave him the million-dollar mark, and he told his boss, see ya, I'm out of here, and he walked away because he finally was a million. That's what he was seeking in life. He was as cheap as all get-out, but he, was a, he was a, he's a millionaire. And of course, that's about 30 years ago, but uh, that's what he was seeking. Again, nothing wrong with hard work and making money, nothing wrong, but man, that's, at the end of the day, there's more to life than just that. There's more than that. Steve Jobs died at, what, 56 years of age from his pancreatic cancer, and, and all the money in the world could not give him life, could not fix him. Why are we seeking life? Mary was seeking the dead when she ha- had the living with her. And again, fame, fortune, name, and, and everything else really are dead when it's all said and done because we're all going to exit this planet one day. The answer in the confrontation, she's supposing him to be the gardener. She said to them, Sir, if thou hast born him, hence tell me where thou was laid him, and I will take him away. Mary's answer not only revealed her unbelief, but again, I don't want to sound like I'm picking on Mary. Because really, I think all of us may have the same mentality if we're her. And sometimes when we really think about the things that we say and the things we do, just how ignorant sometimes we really are in the things we say and do. We don't like to admit it, but God knows us, and God looks at Mary again. Who are you looking for? Well, this is just a gardener talking to me, and I'm not really going to pay attention to the gardener now. I've got other things on my mind, and it's one of ignorance. She's presumed him to be the gardener. And my friend, this thought is keeping Mary from coming to Christ. Instead of entertaining scriptural thoughts, she's entertaining her thoughts. It's just the gardener, the guy who takes care of this place and keeps it up. And she does not concentrate on who the person is. For many people, Jesus Christ is just a name. He's just somebody. He's just a person in history. And and is he God? Is he this? He's that? Well, my friend... You better entertain your thoughts. Your thoughts better go a little further than that. You need to start thinking a little more into this and who he is. because It's your soul that hangs in the balance. Now, Mary is a believer, but right now she's in a state of unbelief. That doesn't mean she lost her salvation, but she's just not thinking resurrection. She's thinking other things. And many in their unbelief have dishonored Christ, like Mary, in that they identify Christ as a Different character than who he is. Well, who is Christ, my friend? That answers the question. If you believe in Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, you got the wrong Christ. Right. If you believe in Mormonism that Jesus Christ had many wives, you got the wrong Christ. Everybody has this picture of who Christ is. The Christ you better come up with is the one that this Bible tells you who he is, and your thoughts better get lined up with Scripture and what this book has to say. So again, she her. Her answer, supposing him to be the gardener, but we see her plea and what she says here, and what she says, "If thou hast borne him, hence tell me where thou hast borne him, that I will take him away." Can I bring you a thought for a minute? A few weeks ago, we saw Mary, whose sister was Martha. Again, this is Mary Magdalene. Then there's Mary of Bethany. Two, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. Mary of Bethany. The Bible tells us, anointed the living Christ. She poured that ointment on his head and then she wiped his feet with her hair. These ladies have come to the tomb with, again, with an expensive anointment, but they're coming to, to anoint a dead body. We don't have a dead Savior. They're, they're anointed, their they're thinking is wrong here in what they're doing. But she says, again, to the gardener, you know, where have you laid him? Again, I'm sounding mean this morning. I'm not here to pick on Mary, but this is the center of our focus here. And by the way, we can pick on Peter and John and, and Thomas. They're all going to say a boatload of dumb things. They all are. But our center is Mary right now. Mary continues to say things that are not right. Where's his body so that I may get it? I don't know how big Mary was, but I don't think Mary could pick up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, tell me where the body is so that I can pick it up and I can take it away. Really? Again, I, I'm, a, I'm a solid 180 pounds. <laughs> give or take. Metrics or something there. But I'll pick out one of you females out here and say, Listen, I'm going to lay down on the ground and we do a contest here. Pick me up and... And carry me to the back of the auditorium. Now, maybe some of you could, but in all likelihood, you just—no offense to you, dear ladies—but I just—we wouldn't do that to you, amen. Most just let the guy lay there, amen. he he he, he, just—that's where he fell. That's where he stays. Let somebody else get him. But Mary says, "Where have you taken him that I may carry him?" No, Mary, you're not going to carry the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just not. But again, your mind will say things that don't make any sense. And Mary's saying things, the noise, just like Thomas. Well, I don't believe it unless he, I stick my finger in, in his hand and, and put my fist in his side. That's a dumb statement. You and I have never said dumb things. We've always, everything that come out of here has been oh, in, in, up here. But if you're like me, every now and then you say a dumb thing, you're like, come back, come back. And you're trying to retrieve it as it's going out of your mouth because you're just... Your your mouth kicked into gear before your brain was engaged. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Anybody? Thank you, Robert. for me out here. She couldn't lift the corpse. She again. She and she's loaded down with uh, with with spices and ointment. Some people have estimated that the 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 what it would take to anoint the body of Christ would take up the seventy five pounds uh, of of ointments and spices plus the the linen wrappings. And plus the body, and again, and plus it's a decaying corpse. For three days it's been in the grave. It's a decaying corpse. But unbelief sometimes thinks it can do more than it can, especially it does when the person involved is not thinking properly. So everything Mary's thinking here is, is not making sense. And I like what the Lord, now he's already spoken to her. She's already heard the voice of Christ. He's already engaged in a conversation with her. He's asked her two things. Why weepest thou? And whom seekest thou? And she has not paid attention to the voice. She's not listened to the voice that she's heard a thousand times in her lifetime already. And she's engaged back into a conversation with him. And finally, the Lord, in verse number 16, Jesus Saith unto her, Mary. Now again, how did Jesus say the word Mary? I don't think it was a Mary. I don't think it was an angry tone, but I think one of Mary, Mary. And all of a sudden, something clicks in Mary's mind. And Mary, and whether the Lord has purposely re- hid Himself. So she could not understand them, or whether it finally took that tone of voice that she finally gets it in her grief, and, and the conversation she's, again, she's, when we first meet her, she's weeping. She's emotionally distraught. She has a conversation with angels. Again, if you're emotionally distraught, you really don't converse too well. Your mind is not thinking on the conversation. Your mind is occupied on what is causing you to weep. I visit people as a pastor sometimes in their most distraught situations. And I realize that as I am engaging in conversations, whether it's at a hospital or at a funeral or at the graveside, most of what I say is not going to be remembered because grief is the main thing occupying the mind. That's why we go back later on, when grief has subsided just a little bit, and we continue to encourage and communicate. Because it's very difficult. Because our mind is focused on one thing. We've all been distracted. We've all had people talking to us, and we're like, what, what? You know, you know okay. And we're, because we're looking here, Jesus is over here. The angel's over here. But Mary's focused on where's the dead body? Where's the dead body? Jesus is dead, and they've stolen a body. And these conversations just noise over here. And finally, the one noise breaks through Mary. And she realizes the Lord Jesus Christ. And she, again, turned herself. And for the first time, she's actually looking at the the Lord, not just staring off in the distance. And she says unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Again, Mary honored Christ by calling him this. This is the highest title of honors in uh, as some people have said, it means great master. Unbelief called him the gardener, but now faith calls him Rabboni, which is great master. The a difference what unbelief and belief can do for us. And Jesus saying there, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended. And right as, after Mary recognized Christ, she was cautioned not to touch him. Now again, this is where people, we, we, I, I want to break this down for us. And again, time is running away quickly. But Mary, he's not. she's in the scene, in the picture. She has seen him, and she calls him Rabboni, and as we put the whole story together, she comes to him and she clings to him, and she grabs hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how happy we would all be if somebody we thought was dead is alive. And how tragic it is that You ever have somebody pass away and then you see somebody on the street that looks closely like the person you just lost? And for a minute you do a double take and for a minute your heart leaps only to come back to reality that no, they're gone. That's not them, but they look an awful lot like them. And if you haven't had that experience, it's not a pleasant one (laughs) in many respects, but we've been there. Jesus is dead. Now he's alive, and so she's going to cling to him. If somebody we loved was, thought was dead and we found them alive, we would cling to them as well and hold on to them for a very, very long time. I'm mindful of what Jacob did in the Old Testament. His name has been changed to Israel. For 20 years, he thought his son Joseph was dead. And when he makes his way down to Egypt and he sees his son Joseph for the first time What does the Bible say? He says that he fell on his son's neck and he wept for what a long time. You talk about a reunion. You talk about a father who was excited to see a son whom he thought was dead and held on to him and wept for a long time. Well Mary, thinking the Lord dead, sees him and she holds on to him. Now this word we see here when he tells her and the Lord talks to her and he And uh, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. The word touch means more than just to touch the surface of something, but rather to take hold of something. One Greek scholar translated, cease clinging to me. Again, not in a bad way. He's not saying, get off of me. But he's saying, Mary, I, I need you to do something, Mary. I need you to stop clinging to me. Stop holding on to me. I, I have a job for you to do, Mary. And I don't realize you, you, you want to hold on to me, but there's some, there's some things we have to get done first. That word that we see here is in the present middle imperative with the genitive case, which means Christ is telling her to stop doing something that she's already doing. So when he says Mary and he says touch me not, she's already touching him. She's already clinging to him. She's already wrapped her arms around him. And he is telling her to refrain from doing something that she has not yet done, but rather she is to stop doing what she is presently doing, and that is namely clinging to him. And why does he say this? Again, he's not being mean, cruel, or unkind and trying to kick her away. But again... I'm risen from the dead, that we got news to tell. If we had great news, and others need to know about it, would we sit and revel in the news, or would we run to tell somebody? Well, we just might revel in it. I, I, this is fascinating. Or in today's world, let me be the first one to post this before anybody else does. Like any time a celebrity drops dead, rip so-and-so, it's Like they got to be the first one that let the whole world know that. Half the time I'm like, who is this person? I don't know who, you know. Who died? I don't know this guy, but everybody know got to be the first one to post it. Well, Mary has been given great privilege. Mary, you're the first one to know this. You're the first one to speak to me. You're the first one to see me. You need to stop clinging to me. You need to go tell the disciples this news. Tell my disciples, who should be here, by the way, but they're not, who were here but packed up and left. Kind of interesting, is it not? The disciples go into the city of Samaria to get sandwiched. Do they tell anybody in Samaria that the Messiah is outside? No. Who tells the Samaritans that the Messiah is outside but the adulterous woman who just had a conversation with him at the well and now has her life transformed? (laughs) Where's the disciples? At this point in time, they're all hanging around the house. Now what do we do? What are we going to do with ourselves the tomb's empty well now what do we do i would have hung around amen i would have i like to think i would i'm a a very curious person my sister and brother-in-law here they know i'm a curious person sign says do not open i'm like why sign says wet paint i'm the one Again, yeah, that's how I roll, but don't touch. The stones that don't roll the way Jesus is not here. I'm going to hang around. It's got to be somewhere Let's find out. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. Heaven knows I, God knows me and I'm not. But she has a job to do, my friend. And the job, again, I, I will not finish this today. But Mary has been given a commission, and the commission to go tell, amazingly, God gave to a woman. Now, Mary, your job is to go down and tell my disciples, go tell the preachers that I'm alive. And the first time the preachers ever hear that Jesus Christ is alive is coming from a woman who one time had seven demons living in her, a woman who we really know very little about, but must have been... A, a special person, a unique person, that fact that God allowed her to be there at that particular moment in time. And her commission is to go. Look at verse number 17, and we'll close in a minute here. Again, her, at, the, at the end of verse number 17, he says, Go, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascended to my father, go and to your father, and to my God, and to your God. Go, my friend, that is the commission we have in this good news of the resurrection, is to go and tell people. Jesus Christ is alive. He's not dead. Well, you know that's just your no. That's what. It's the truth. It's alive. He's not dead. Well, I don't believe it. Why don't you believe it? Engage conversation. Engage in a conversation that actually goes somewhere. Again, useless conversation. What do you think? Who's going to win the World Series this year? It doesn't matter what I think. What I think is not going to change anything. Even who? Who? Who who do you want to win? Well, I want this team. But who I want doesn't matter. You know, I can scream at the TV all day long. It doesn't affect the game. You know, we think it does. You know, when we were kids, we'd watch the Giant games. My mom would walk in the living room. And as soon as she walked in, the Giants would start losing, which was a common theme back then. Like, Mom, get out of here. Get out. You're you're, you're bad luck. You're jinxing the whole thing, Mom. I feel bad about that, kicking my mom out of the living room now. But we kicked her out because you're jinxing the team. You must have jinxed him the whole entire 70s or something or early 80s there. But, but, we, but she had nothing to do with it. And we were just joking really about that with mom. But, uh, you know, no outcome. But a conversation, Christ is alive. That's a good conversation. Something to tell people because man, The Bible tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has what? Raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Without the resurrection and belief in the resurrection, there is no salvation. Without belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, my friend, no one can be I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in the resurrection. You're not a Christian. Stop using that term. People use that term all the time. I'm a Christian. Well, you do believe this? No. You believe this? No. Then you're not a Christian. A Christian is somebody who's Christ-like, who believes in Christ and acts like Christ and talks like Christ. That's a Christian. You just can't say you're a Christian because you identify with no do you believe these things and so mary was given great privilege to see the resurrected christ but she was given a job and her job was to go and the message to the church today is still to go go what tell them he's alive tell a lost world that christ is alive and he's coming back again someday So again, just scraping the top of this conversation this morning, we see Mary, many ways like us, many ways we can identify with Mary's condition and her grief and sorrow and what she went through, and how, again, she needs to be encouraged, and how we have a God who encourages us when our faith may be weak, a God who encourages us when our faith may struggle, a God who encourages us, who may ask us questions, till finally we hear that one word. Our name. The Bible says he knows us all by name. God knows my name. God knows who I am. What a thought that God knows me and God cares for me. And God in Christ yells out or speaks out, Mary. One little word and Mary's entire outlook was changed. Let's stand together for prayer. Our Lord and our God, we do thank you this day for your goodness and mercy. We thank you that we have a Savior who is alive forevermore. I pray, dear God, that you'll bless this time and this hour now. pray you'll speak to our hearts. If anybody here today is not saved, Lord, help them understand the gospel and be saved. And may they believe upon the resurrected one. Help Christians as we struggle with many things in our lives. But, Lord, to always look to you and not be filled with unbelief or not let sorrow or grief take hold of us.